you can find a seat if you can. Thanks so much for joining us for grand opening in Kirkland. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with gratitude today at the goodness of God and um, I think this is just the beginning of the miracles that we're going to see over and over again here in this place. <clears throat> Today we've shifted some of the service times and this will be the normal operating order for, for the days ahead. Who knows, we, we might need a second service in Kirkland, I'm not sure, but... Currently, the service schedule is 8.15 in Snohomish, 9.30 in Snohomish, 12.30 in Snohomish, 11 a.m. in Kirkland, and 6 p.m. in Seattle. And we want you to know today that this isn't like a conference or a one-off special event or, or, or even a pop-up. This is a church. And we're going to be here every Sunday at 11 a.m. to lift high the name of Jesus because he is still worthy of praise in this region. And I'm so excited to have Pastor Jude preaching tonight in the UD building at 6 p.m. You are invited to join us. Would love to have you there. As you walked in today, you, you may have noticed that this building is in the process of getting a facelift. And I know that we've got more work to do, but I wanted to share with you an abbreviated list of the things that we have accomplished over the last six days. The interior and the exterior has been painted. The carpets have been cleaned. Trees were trimmed and weeds were pulled. Grass was cut. Folks landscaped just about every square inch of this 14-acre property. Both the building and the parking lot were pressure washed and pressure washed again. Electricians rewired the stage, LED walls got hung, live stream got set up, chairs were repaired, the info booth was assembled, interior and exterior signs were installed, the photo wall got built, the parking lot got swept, the cafe and the merch store got set up, nearly every window in this building has been washed, both inside and out, kids' classrooms were set up, toys were wiped down, walls and surfaces deep cleaned, light bulbs replaced, bathrooms cleaned and painted, baseboard scrubbed doors repaired, ceiling tiles fixed, the stage built out, you name it, we did it, and a vast majority of this hard work was accomplished with volunteer labor from this church. Thank you, Pursuit, for responding to the rallying cry. We are officially open for business in Kirkland, Washington. Now, this building is a miracle, and, and I am thankful for all 112,000 square feet of it, although I am still discovering rooms even today that I didn't know existed. I've spent most of the last week getting lost trying to find my office. But here's the reality. This building won't fill itself. 
This building won't serve in kids ministry. This building won't give in the offering or invite a neighbor to church. This building is what we make it. It'll radiate with that which we prioritize. And with God's help, this property will stay in the kingdom so that the next generation can know our God still answers by fire. I, I can't be Wendell and, and, and I'm not Judah, but with God's help together, we can be what this region so desperately needs us to be an unapologetic, spirit-filled church that exists to glorify Jesus and in doing so, bring people into an encounter with the presence of God. Somebody told me on Instagram this week, they said, you better not wear your stupid cowboy boots in Kirkland. Well, I'm wearing them today because the anointing of God doesn't rest on who you pretend to be. It rests on who you actually are. I'm just a kid who grew up in Ballard, who planted a church in a barn in Snohomish. And I feel lucky to even be in this room today. But the center of this church is not me. It's not my pulpit, it's not my gift mix, it's not my anointing or even my personality. The center of this church is the presence of God and this place exists for him. As we begin this morning, I wanna take time to honor some folks who, if it wasn't for their support, we simply would not be here today. I wanna thank our board of directors, Brian Johnson, Paul Sweezy, Brian Painley, and Dave Wirch, who have stood by me, supported me, corrected me, and covered me, and have faithfully governed this church as we continue to expand. I wanna thank our staff and volunteers who have literally worked day and night to get this facility ready for grand opening. Some of them slept in the sanctuary several nights in a row. People like Russ Babcock, George Brewer, Greg Knott, Les Langston, Anne-Marie Comfort, Gail Webb, Jeff and Barb, Elizabeth Daniel, Brandon Zimmerman, Dave Pauls, Rachel Brady, Tracy Burke, Scott and Dana Shelford, J.R. Covey, Dean Sellers, and so many others who individually shined every chair and tightened every screw and cleaned every square inch for us today. I wanna to thank every donor. I wanna thank every donor who gave sacrificially above and beyond so that we could be here today. For many of you, this wasn't the first time that you gave to secure this property. The idea that you would trust me with your resources so that we can rebuild in Kirkland means more than you will ever know. And I wanna thank my wife of 14 years, Maria.
she's the only one who doesn't get paid to put up with me full time. <laughs> we got engaged when she was a senior in high school. We got married the summer she graduated. She had no idea what she was signing up for. But Maria has walked with me every step of the way. And she has shown herself to be the one who always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. In closing, I wanna honor Overlake for building this church in 1971. I wanna honor Wendell and Jenny Smith for buying this church in 1997. I wanna thank Judah and Chelsea Smith for trusting me with this church in 2024. And I wanna honor Jude and Becky who after all these years never gave up on this church. Today we stand on their shoulders and we say, your work was not in vain. Your labor is not without reward, and you will live to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, for God is not yet done with the Pacific Northwest, and he always saves his best for last. Now let me be clear, it is true, over the last 53 years, this church has been filled with heroes. This stage has been graced by legends. These seats have been occupied by people of great influence. But here at Pursuit Kirkland, there is only one celebrity and his name is Jesus. There is only one way to the Father and it's through the Son. There is only one name that when it is spoken, every knee must bow and tongue must confess that he is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Oh, some trust in chariots and, and others in horses, but we, we will trust in the name of the Lord for he is the bright and morning star. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the balm of Gilead. He is the dew on Mount Hermon. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the second Adam, the mediator between God and man. He is our great high priest, the incarnate son of the Most High, and that God is deserving of worship in Snohomish, Seattle, Kirkland, and beyond. This morning, I want to share with you a story out of 1 Kings 17 that I believe paints in many ways a prophetic picture of the moment we find ourselves in today. For see, there is a, a drought in the land of Israel. The nation is tormented by the incompetent and, and evil leadership of Ahab and Jezebel. The territories teeter on chaos. The region is awash in idolatry and confusion and a darkness hovers over the holy city of Jerusalem. 
and when all hope seems lost and and when the walls feel like they are closing in and, and when the people have seemingly lost their ability to dream for a better future, God raises up a prophet named Elijah with this urgent message. In not too many days, a cloud will form, the skies will break, and rain will begin again in the nation of Israel. And this sentiment forms the thesis statement of my sermon today. The land is dry and the days are dark, but I see a cloud the size of a man's hand and it is time for the rain to begin again in this building and in Kirkland and beyond. Oh, we have never needed it like we need it today. If for even at the scent of water, the roots of a tree shoot forth, how much more will this region be revived if God would cause wells of living water to flow again? And here's the good news. The land might be dry, the days may be dark, but God is not yet done. And the pattern of scripture is simply this, God never allows a drought in the land without first raising up a prophet in the city. And that brings us to verse seven of 1 Kings 17, where the scriptures record this story. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, arise, go to the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon and dwell there. For see, I, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Don't miss it today. The lack of rain in Israel was just a physical manifestation of a much more dangerous spiritual reality. And it was this, the people of Israel had become content to live without the spiritual renewal they so desperately needed. They wanted politicians more than they wanted prophets. They desired wealth more than they desired wisdom. The allure of carnality became louder than the call to consecration. They wanted God to rescue them from their problems, but they had no interest in turning from their sin. God became useful, but he was no longer beautiful. God became convenient, but he was no longer paramount. For in Elijah's day, God was a relic in a museum, an idea in a classroom, a theory in a book but he ceased to be a person who was worshiped and adored. Hear me pursuit, no matter how big we grow, no matter how many campuses we plant, no matter how many conferences we have, may we never graduate out of our great need for God to be everything scripture says he is and to see him do everything scripture says he can do. As Jesus says on the Mount of Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize that we need him more today than we needed him yesterday and we will need him more tomorrow than we do today and may the church we attend never become bigger than the church that is in our heart. It's, 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 it's not enough to host a drinking fountain when the region is dying due to thirst. 
It's not enough to have a good weekend at a grand opening, pat ourselves on the back, and then return to lackluster, mediocre, listless spirituality. The grand opening of this campus isn't the end of our mission, it's the beginning. Our job is to strike the ground until living water begins to flow. For I simply refuse to pass on drought as our legacy to the next generation. We owe this region an encounter with the living God. Now watch, during a drought, you must be careful that you never mistake God's silence for God's absence. For many of you in this room, your hearts have longed for this moment today. And it is my sincere hope and belief that God would use the joy of this next season to help heal the pain of your last one. But you need to know today that the only reason a drought irritates a farmer is because the farmer is old enough to remember a time when the rain would fall in abundance. And here's my concern. We've got an entire generation that has only ever heard the stories about a time when it used to rain. And now we have been entrusted with this task of not just telling them stories about the good old days, but introducing them to a river that still proceeds from his throne. And as sure as I am standing here today, we will raise our kids in revival because spiritual drought is losing its permission to dictate the destiny of our children and our children's children. And although none of us enjoy seasons of seemingly spiritual drought, I know this to be true, God never wastes one single solitary moment of our lives. It's interesting to me that the Bible says it was when the brook dried up that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And what was that word that Elijah heard? It was, arise, it's time to go. See, some of you need permission this morning to leave empty brooks in order to pursue living water. Empty brooks look like old mindsets. They look like preconceived ideas and notions, past relationships, religious nostalgia, dead organizations. They carry the memory of living water without the evidence of any water. And often, it is the mercy of God disguised as a dried up brook that finally becomes the permission you need to make the change you once feared. And when Elijah has the courage to leave that which he has known, the Lord tells him, go to Zarephath, and there you will find a widow who will provide for you. It's interesting, Zarephath was a Hebrew word that meant place of refining. Hmm. God's telling Elijah, before you get refreshing, you need refining. Because you have to decrease before you get increase. Because you've got to die before you can live. Because you've got to serve before you can lead. Elijah was already a prophet. Elijah had already been fed by ravens. Elijah had already performed signs, wonders, and miracles. And yet God says to him, I still got more work that I need to do on you. 
See, refining isn't punishment, it's the setup for your reward. Refinement is the season in your life where God strips away everything you thought you needed in order to reveal what you actually needed. You thought you needed more friends, what you actually needed were the right ones. You thought you needed more money, what you actually needed were better habits. You thought you needed a horoscope for your future, a psychic for your relationships, and crystals to fine tune your vibrations. What you actually needed was a hope for your future, a great physician for your pain, and forgiveness for your sin. So the Bible continues in verse 10. So Elijah arose and he indeed did go to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called out to her and said, oh, and also please bring me a little bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't got no bread. I only got a a handful of of flour in a bin and and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. It, It seems insensitive at best. Elijah already knows that this gal is a widow by the fact that she is gathering sticks at the gate of the city. Elijah would immediately recognize that she was in great need herself. And so what does Elijah, the great prophet of compassion, do in this moment? He immediately asks the widow for something he knows she does not have. Can you bring me some water? Oh, and on the way back, could you bring me some bread as well? Can I tell you today, the next time you feel like God is asking you to do the impossible, take notice. It's God's way of reminding you that even if you haven't cooked it yet, even if the dough has yet to rise, even if the bread has yet to bake, you got the ingredients for the task lying residential in the container of your soul. See, all across this room today, we've got ingredients sitting in these chairs. We got ingredients watching online. We got a handful of of flour over here and and we got some oil in a jar over there and, and alone these ingredients are not impressive. And alone, none of these ingredients would suffice as a meal we would enjoy. And alone, none of these ingredients have the capacity to feed a community. But together, If we will combine the little that we have, I'm convinced God could use our little and turn it into a lot. (laughs) Get this, less than eight weeks ago from today, I, for the first time, became aware of an opportunity to secure this property for the potential expansion of pursuit onto the east side. I felt like the dog who chased the car and finally caught it and then discovered he didn't know how to drive. (laughs) Part of me was excited, the other part of me was scared to death. I knew that we were supposed to come to Kirkland. I I knew God would open a door for us. 
I just didn't know that it would be like this. And what begun from that moment less than eight weeks ago was a series of miracles unlike anything I have ever seen before. We brought our ingredients together on December 10th and raised $6.4 million in a miracle offering. We brought our ingredients together this last week as hundreds of volunteers helped us get this building ready for church. And we are bringing our ingredients together today, unwilling to die on the kitchen self of isolation and individualism, but instead adding our faith together to believe that God is beginning a new chapter here in Kirkland. But watch how the widow responds. I don't got no bread, Elijah. And even if I did, I wouldn't have enough for you. <laughs> Why? Because I'm going home to make one more meal. And then my son and myself are gonna die. It's like the widow is saying to Elijah, it's easier to imagine my death than it is my life. And see, friend, that's exactly what a crushed spirit does. And if we were being honest today, there are some of us in this very room who frankly feel exhausted at the idea of daring ourselves to believe again. I've already tried to be part of a church I've already been down this road. I've already heard these sermons. I've already tried to pray, to tithe, to believe, and to hope. And I guess I'm at the point in my life where it's easier to subscribe to the fatalism of my deferred dreams than put my faith in the promise of a better tomorrow. But I'm here to tell you, Kirkland, this isn't your last meal. This is your invitation to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. And 2024 is gonna be the year where you try less and trust more. Because I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. <laughs> In verse 13, Elijah responds and says to her, do not fear, go and do as, as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and, and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bit of flour shall not be used up, <laughs> nor shall a jar of oil Run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and, and she did according to the word of Elijah. And she and, and, and her household, they ate for many days. But sometime later, the son of a woman who owned the house became ill. And, and, and he grew worse and worse. And finally, 
he stopped breathing. And the widow says to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Isn't it interesting? The widow got her miracle in verse 15. She was gonna die, her and her son were gonna starve, They were down to their last drop of oil and their last handful of flour, and at just the right time, God used a prophet to perform a miracle. Three verses later, the widow goes from being grateful for the food to being outraged at Elijah on behalf of her son who has died. Watch, watch. The widow had a full stomach but she still dealt with a fractured soul. She had provision in her house, but poverty in her heart. And here's what I found. Until God heals the wounds of your last season, you are only one disappointment away from cursing that which God has brought to bless you. See, only a united church can heal a divided nation. Only a healed Christian can extend healing into the life of another. Only a healthy soul can properly contextualize the pain of the human experience. And by the way, the true sign of a healed heart is not how you think about your past. It's how you manage your present and see your future. This woman is a widow. She's already lost her husband. And now her son is gone too. And in this finite moment, all of the unprocessed and unhealed reactivity and trauma from the last time someone close to her died gets vomited on Elijah the prophet. Did you come to mock me as well? This isn't shocking, but it needs to be said. I will not be perfect. It's only a matter of time before you find something to disagree with me on. It's only a few weeks until someone sits in your chair, parks in your space, or steps on your toes. My five-year-old still today routinely asks people in our church if they are pregnant, and most of the time, they are not. Maybe she's prophetic, I'm not sure. (laughs) But if we can operate from a place of healing and wholeness, instead of looking for victims to vomit on, we can help provide healing for those who are hurting. So let me stand in the place today of that pastor who hurt you or that father who abandoned you or that friend who betrayed you. And let me offer you something you have maybe never received before, an apology. What happened to you was wrong. What you experienced was painful. And when you wept, you had a God who wept 
right alongside you. But your season of grieving without hope is coming to an end. Your weeping lasted for the night, but joy has come on Sunday morning. And here's where I'll end. Elijah said to her, give me your son. <laughs> and and he, he, he took him from her arms and he, and he carried him to the upper room where, where he was staying and, and he laid him on his bed. And he stretched himself out on the boy three times and he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he revived. And Elijah picked up the child, and, and he carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother, and he said, look, your son lives. Isn't it interesting that the story ends the way it begins? with Elijah once again asking the widow for what she does not have. This time, her son, but he is dead. She may have his body, but the son she knew is no longer there. But this time, without complaint, she hands over that which is lifeless. And the Bible says, Elijah cries out, to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy live. Three times the cry of Elijah came up before the Lord, and on the third time the scriptures record, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and he was revived. You might be sitting here this morning tempted to believe that you serve a God who maybe is not attentive to the prayers that you've offered, or maybe he has forgotten about the promises you once held close to your heart, or maybe he has somehow ignored the prophetic things that have been spoken and declared over your life, but you've got to operate with great confidence today that the Lord is still close to the cry of his people. Elijah was a prophet, he was a miracle worker. This miracle could have been performed in any number of ways, but Elijah cried out to the Lord. And there is something about a church in the Northwest that is unafraid to allow their travail to be heard by the high King of heaven. For our God is close to the broken and the contrite. In fact, it says their cry he cannot ignore and will not deny. But there is something that tends to rise up in our hearts Every time we're motivated to call on his name, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? What if I'm let down once again? What if my expectation doesn't come through? What if it doesn't turn out the way that I had so desired? And I'm here to let you know that God never leaves a miracle halfway done. 
that God still holds your tears in a bottle and it continually cries out on your behalf before his throne. This God has not forgotten not one of the prayers that you have prayed, not one of the songs that you have sang, not one of the poems that you've ever written, not one of the devotional times that you've ever had. And in due time, and in the right season, and when you need it most, and when you thought all hope was lost, God himself will send rain on a dry and on a thirsty land. Oh, listen, I got faith. I'm willing to believe for the impossible. But if I were to be honest, I didn't even have the faith to believe for this. I thought there's no way, there's no how, it could never happen. I don't even want to verbalize it, lest I look foolish. And I heard the Lord saying, try me. When have I ever failed you or let you down? I dare you today to allow the dialogue of your interior prayers to somehow match the sovereign power of God's ability. We're not asking for small things, we're asking for big things. We're saying, God, would you give us nations as our inheritance? Would you give us the lost as our reward? Would you compel a region to come back into the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus? Would you redig ancient wells? Would you release the wind of heaven would you once again show yourself strong to your remnant people you did it before you're gonna do it again but this time in even greater measure for the rain of the latter will be greater than the rain of the former so god rid the heavens and let the rain begin Why don't you stay standing as we close? And in closing, let me ask you this. Would you look around today? Would you look around this room? Would you look around this building? Would you look around this property? The Lord has heard our cry, life has returned and we are revived. Friend, it's begun to rain again in Kirkland and beyond. So let us add our faith together and say, God, do your best work in this place. Maybe you're standing here today and you're recognizing I'm not in a right place with God. Maybe I used to be, but if I were to be honest, I have allowed the years and the tears and the fears to move me away from that first love. And I didn't even come today expecting to hear this type of message, but for whatever reason, the Spirit of God has spoken to my heart and I feel compelled in this moment to take that next step in the ongoing book that God is writing about my life. And I'm coming home today. I would venture to say on grand opening Sunday, it's a great day to come home to Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you've never known Jesus like you should. Maybe you was raised in a Christian family. Maybe you can preach these sermons better than me, but you know that you don't know him. 
like you should. Today would be a great day to turn over the title deed of your life to the maker, the creator, and the blueprint designer because there is more in your future than there is in your past. Or maybe you're here today and a crushed spirit has dried up your bones. Hope deferred has made your heart sick. The disappointments of yesteryear have for whatever reason done damage to the container of your soul. And you know today that God by his spirit is offering you a new lease on your spiritual vitality and you don't wanna miss your moment. I would implore you today, friend, by the mercy of God, which is in Christ Jesus, allow your heart to be healed by the one who is familiar with your suffering. Our great high priest, his name is Jesus. No, we can't do this alone and wouldn't want to even if we could. We need the buy-in of this room because there's 10,000 by 10,000 all across this region who don't yet know this Jesus. But I am compelling you today. It is time to get up out of the stands and join us on the field as we fight for our future. It's time, Kirkland. It's time, Pacific Northwest. Well, Pastor, I've been following God for 40 years. My Bible's autographed by Moses himself. I know where all the rooms are in this building. But you got living water flowing in your soul. Today's your day to put full faith and full fidelity and full trust in his finished work. And in doing so, say, God, I'm gonna dare myself to dream again. And we will see this God perform mighty works in our midst. In just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. If you're in here today and the Lord's touching your heart, you know that you need to do business with God before you leave this room. You know that you got prayers to pray, you got people to forgive, you got things to repent of. You need God to unleash that river of living water that flows from within once again. I'm telling you, it's never too late to have a fresh start. For in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, young and old, male and female, men servant and maidservant, Jew and Gentile, for in the spirit we are one. God, thank you for your people, not my people. Thank you for your building, not my building. Thank you for your church, not my church. And God, we pray on this grand opening dedication Sunday that you would be honored, pleased, and attracted to the aroma of praise that has filled this building. May these walls sing again. May these altars once again be baptized in the tears of your people. May you do a work that no man can take credit for, not by our own might, nor by our own power, but by your spirit alone. God will give you all the praise and glory which is due unto your name in this church, both now and forever and throughout all generations. 
In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen.